person here, those that are watching online. Uh, Lord, we know that there's sickness and disease, all these things that are still are impacting people's lives and uh, people that we know, people that we love. And we pray for just your healing uh, touch upon their lives. I pray for my wife this morning. I thank you for her and pray that you would just bring healing to her body, bring comfort to her. And uh, for any in our church family, those that are, uh, that are hurting, that are suffering, that are going through not just physical uh, traumas, but emotional, just relational, God, that you would be their healer today. And Lord, we specifically as a church, we lift up the people of Ukraine. Uh, Lord, um, uh, they're victims uh, of just what we see is, uh, you know, this invasion that's taking place in their country, uh, unprovoked by them, not looking for war at all, just trying to live peaceable lives as your word declares. And so, Lord, we pray for just a hedge of protection. We pray for uh, just an intervention. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, stay your hand. Uh, Lord, that you would use the church in a mighty way to proclaim peace and, and liberty, freedom and grace and mercy and love. And Lord, so we pray for the church there. We pray for the children who are impacted, the orphanages, Lord, that have been uh, destroyed and lives that have been lost, God. God, we pray, uh, Lord, that you would just, again, come quickly. It's our prayer, Lord. You're the only one who can heal this. You're truly the only one that can turn things around. And so we look not to the world. We don't look to the world systems. But God, we look to you and we pray that, God, you would use our country. Uh, Lord, we were a country founded uh, on a belief in God. In God, we trust. Lord, we even put it on our currency. And God, it seems like in so many ways we've, we've turned from that. And Lord, we repent of that. And Lord, we, we look to you today to, to work through, Lord, our government. And Lord, the human vessels and instruments, God, that you've allowed. As your word says, that promotion doesn't come from the east or from the west, but it comes from you. And for such a time as this, and we pray especially for those that serve in our government and our military, those that love you, or have been called according to your purpose, that they would rise up like Esther for such a time as this. And Lord, that uh, God, there would be peace. We pray for peace, Lord, in our world today. But we pray for a different, really kind of peace. We pray for the peace of God, Lord. We pray that, Lord, you would comfort the hearts of those that are hurting, that are living in fear and trauma today. And God, that you would use us specifically, Lord, not just as a people who pray, but Lord, to find ways that we can serve and we can care, whether it's through giving specifically to ministries there in Ukraine, um, Lord, to churches, to orphanages, to works, uh, Lord, uh, whatever, God, you would move us to do, Lord, we pray not our will, but thine be done. And we love you. We thank you that, Lord, we have so many freedoms in this country. Uh, God, we look and we see the things that are happening in the news and we can complain about life here in America, but we have it so good, Lord. And Lord, we don't ever want to take that for granted. And so, God, we say thank you today. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for blessing us, Lord. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our Lord. And so we give you today, and we look forward to, Lord, what you would teach us. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, who, Lord, leads us and guides us in understanding, who makes the Word of God uh, not only uh, understanding to us, but practical and applicable so that, Lord, we can walk in it. And as your word declares, God, we believe it to be true. How can a young man cleanse his ways? Your word declares 
by taking heed according to your word. And so we set our hearts and our minds today to take heed of your word. And we invite you to teach us, Lord, to transform us and change us from glory to glory. We give you this day. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love, for your grace, your mercy. We love you. And uh, Lord, we proclaim that love, Lord, both privately in our hearts, publicly together, Lord, in the world in which we live. To you be the glory today, God, for the great things that you do. We bless you as we pray in Jesus' name. We all agreed saying amen. Amen. Um, in Romans chapter 6, you know, we'll pick up our study there uh, this morning in our series, Made Right. We're, we'll see verses 14 through 23, and for time's sake, we'll, we'll jump into this today. I'm not going to read it um, and then go back over it. Um, I titled this morning's message, Choose Wisely. And, and really, the Apostle Paul, um, you know, we'll find in the days ahead, um, you know, we've been talking about the word justification, you know, just as if I'd never sinned, and the word sanctification, which to be truly means to be set apart, and and you know, words that that come up that are theological in nature and sometimes difficult for us uh, to comprehend, um, you know. And we look at this this word, you know, sanctification, and we understand that there's there's two sides to that, you know, that there's uh, there's God's role and responsibility, and there's also our role and responsibility, which will lead us in the days ahead to uh, a third word. And I just want to encourage you to maybe write this down and begin to, to try to wrap your mind around it because it is difficult. Uh, it, it can be divisive. There's different denominations on each side of this coin, but it's the, it's the word predestination. Predestination. And, and we'll begin to kind of dabble in that today and uh, hit that hard in the, in the weeks ahead here. Uh, and really, when we talk about predestination, the, the divisiveness comes from you know, God's predetermined plan and the free will of man. And so you have this, this two-sided coin. The Bible obviously teaches both, uh, and uh, we'll cover those. But um, you know, here today, we're just reminded you know, that the, the theme of this book, the theme of Romans is, is with regard is salvation. You know, that's, what, that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us about. And it's not just about you know, being uh, forgiven. It, it's about uh, being given eternal life. How many of you have ever seen that, that bumper sticker? And a lot of times it said Catholic, but then there's a Christian version of it where it said, you know, Catholics or Christians aren't perfect just forgiven. Just raise your hand. You ever see that one on, a, on the car? Yeah, a lot of us, you know, through the years. And, and unfortunately, you know, um, it, that's not a true statement. It, it's a half of a statement. It's actually, the Apostle Paul has kind of taken issue with that bumper sticker. It didn't probably exist back in the days of Paul, but had it, uh, he definitely would have brought it into question because we are perfect in Christ. That's what we were talking about, our position in Christ, that he see, God sees us perfect in him. And yet, so we're not just forgiven, but we're also, you know, forgiven. We're also free, you could say, to live a, a righteous life or to live righteously. And so as we, we study this, you know, we go back and you're reminded, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about water baptism, you know, Paul using that, you know, symbolically to demonstrate that when you and I came to Christ, you know, our old man was identified with Christ. We went under that water of baptism and we died with him. And the penalty, it's a reminder, the penalty of our sin was paid for. And a lot of times that's where people go, okay, so we're forgiven because Jesus died for us. And then we don't even think about, you know, living a holy and a righteous life before God. And you go, but we came out of that water of baptism. We didn't just stay there. It's one thing to die, but we, we rose again with him, right? We were raised in the resurrection unto new life. That's what it is to be 
born again. And that life now we can enjoy and experience is a life that has victory over sin. We died to sin with Christ, but he was raised for our justification, right? So he was raised in the fact that now we have this new life that's in Christ Jesus, and we now have the ability because of that that power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul writes, it works mightily in us to live, you know, not just in, with the idea that, hey, one day we're going to go to heaven, but to truly live a victorious life in Christ right now. And so obviously Jesus, he provided forgiveness, like I said, when he died in our place, but he also provides victory by his resurrection. And Paul, you know, keeps bringing us back to that. So, you know, living, you know, under grace isn't just being forgiven, but it's also living with that understanding that we have everlasting life. You know, it's not just, again, about, like I said, thinking about being forgiven, but it's also that in God's grace, he's provided the ability for me and you to live righteously before him. And this is where the battle takes place. You know, what is God's responsibility in that? Because I know that I'm a sinner. We're going to get into that next week as we get into chapter seven. We're going to see that, you know, Paul's own struggle within his own life. But it doesn't diminish personal responsibility. It doesn't uh, diminish choice. And really, you know, like I said, if I put a title on this today, it's, it's, it would be called choose wisely, that we have a choice, and God wants us to exercise that choice in each of our lives. And so, uh, again, as I look at this, you know, I put my notes here, justification by faith is evidenced by sanctification. Now, that's really how it rolls out here, is that we're justified as if we'd never sinned, and the evidence of our justification is the ongoing work of the Lord in our life. And again, take that word sanctified, it means set apart. God has set you apart for himself, and we also have a responsibility to set ourselves apart to God. You can think of it this way. Uh, sanctification is when we know and what we know to be true and what we actually do come in contact with one another, that we start to live out. Actually, it's kind of living out what God is working in each of our lives. They start to come in more of an alignment together, you know, positionally, obviously, and then practically speaking in our lives. You know, last week I gave you four ways, if you weren't with us, to you know, think about, you know, and experience the victorious life that we have in Christ. I, I gave you, you know, four things. Number one was, you know, know that you know, or you could say, know that you know that you know that you know, you know, know what you know, you know, that knowledge is power. And the second thing, you know, I, I shared with you is, you know, be fully convinced. And what I mean by that is that word reckon, you know, the word reckon simply means to add it all up. Be fully convinced. Add it all up. You add it all up, you know, you're going to understand, you know, uh, exactly what the Lord desires of us. He reveals it very clearly in his word. That's why Paul would write, you know, study to show yourself what? Approved to God. A workman who what? Needs not be ashamed. Who rightly divides the word of truth. We need to be fully convinced. The third thing I share with you is simply is don't quit. You know, don't, don't, Galatians reminds us, you know, don't fear in doing good. Don't give up doing good. It says, for in due time, you'll reap if you what? If you don't faint and lose heart. And you think about that in your life. We've all probably quit something that we look back with and we regret. And you go, man, I just gave up too soon. I, I like, you know, I, I watch Instagram uh, little video reels and stuff. And I love sports. And so I, lot, I watch a lot of sports and I love track and field. And I'm, I'll watch, you know, these guys and I'm, I'm watching a guy and he's, he's setting a, a record. It was an indoor race. I don't know what school he was from, but he was just blazing the field and he's coming down the stretch and he's in front and he's only got from about here to the guitar, you know, to win. 
and he can see the guy on his left. And so he's, you can see his head and he's running and he's looking and he's getting this look of there's the finish line and there's my closest competition, not realizing there's a guy coming on his right. And he looks and he's got this look and then and it, you'd have to see it, but you, you could understand the pain he felt. So now there's the finish line where the guitar is. He's right here and the guy passes him. And his head goes like this, you know, so now I'm, I was going this way. You see his face, he goes, oh, and he's just got this, this look of just total brokenness that he could see the finish line, but he, you know, wasn't aware, you know, that the competition was right there and he thought it was there and he starts to let up. And it's like, oh. and I remember, you know, it just, as soon as I saw it, it reminded me, you know, as a kid you know, in running track and field, my dad was a track coach and, and he would always tell me, Michael, he goes, you know, you run 10 yards through the line. And then I had Armin, you know, as a, as a PE teacher and a coach in junior high. And he would, Armin would say the same thing is you don't run to the tape, you run through the tape. And then you look at all these races, I mean, at, a, at Olympic levels where competitors, I mean, you would think that's like a basic thing, right? It's kind of like in, in baseball going, you know, my dad taught, you know, me how to catch. How many hands do you think he taught me to catch with? Two. And then you look at today and you go, what, what do all the athletes want to do? And whether it's football, it's because everything's for, you know, it's for show, right? It's like a one-handed grab. It's this. And you go, and how many times do they close the mitt too soon? The ball, you know, either snow cones out the top or, or they hit it. And you, and you just have this thought and you go, and you can't give up on it too soon. I mean, don't, don't quit. And all these things of sports analogies, growing up playing sports, it just comes to mind that you go, man, how often do we quit too soon? If we're going, and especially in, a, in our struggle against sin, and, and Paul really is going to get into that next week. And then number four, as I shared with you, and it really kind of rolls into how we begin uh, this week, you know, number four was go all in. Don't hold anything back, go all in. And, and again, and it's so, so important. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, years ago, I remember, you know, one of our children's director, her husband, um, he was, he was coaching basketball and he, he had, uh, my kids, both of them were on his team and, uh, and he was, he was a great coach and he was a great motivator and they were playing a team that was better than them. And that the game was really close and, 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 uh, he had called timeout and we were sitting right behind, you know, the, the bench there and, you know, the boys were all around in a half circle and, and he looks at him and he goes, leave it all on the court leave it all on the court. And I mean, I got goosebumps. I wanted to go play. I'm not even any good at basketball, but man, I was like, I want, I wanted to get down there. It was like, yeah, leave it all in the court. And, and the, and the very next thing, and it was so cool. Uh, only a dad could really appreciate this, I guess, but you know, uh, my son, the ball was getting ready to go out of bounds and he had an opportunity, but the only way he was going to get it is if he dove for it. Right. And if you dive for it on a, on a, you know, wood court, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to get scuffed up, you know, and as a kid, you know, you, you know, as adults, you usually think, eh, you know, I'm going to do it. But as, as a kid, you could see that kind of the apprehension and he dove and, you know, he slid and sure enough, you know, both of his knees got up and you could tell he was just in so much pain, but the coach was so excited and, and he didn't save the ball, it, it, but it wasn't that. It was that he had done exactly what the coach had said to do. He just left it all on the court, he just gave it the best. And, he, and so when he was talking with the kids after the, the game, I mean, he was so proud of him. He goes, it's not that you win or lose. I mean, my dad used to tell me the same thing. He'd go, Michael, I don't care if you win everything you do, but if you only give half of your effort, he goes, I won't be proud of you. 
He goes, but if you lose every, everything that you go out and compete in, but you give it 100%, he goes, I'd be proud of you. And I, and I think that's the same, the same mindset with God, is that we, go, that we go all in. And sometimes, you know, again, when we think about grace and we think about, you know, sin and we think about, you know, God's mercy, a lot of times we just go, oh, well, you know, I mean, there's nothing I can really do. And, and we quit. We give up. We, instead of fighting the good fight of faith. And so the Apostle Paul deals with this, you know, continually you know, throughout this chapter here, and he'll continue it in the days ahead. You know, if you, if you found, you know, and I, I think about this, that serving the Lord is fulfilling, amen? And when you serve the Lord, it leaves you wanting to do more. I mean, I know for me, and I, I believe that it does that for you, amen? When you, you serve the Lord and you go, man, I could do more. It, it doesn't leave you, it's not like a conviction. There, there's a drive there. You know, it's like if you love somebody, it's like, you know, I'll do something for my wife. And, and at times I'll, I'll think about it and she'll go, oh, honey, you know, thank you. And she's genuinely appreciative. And I'm still feeling like, man, I wish I could do more. And she didn't ask me for more, but there's something in me that goes, because I, I love her and I know that she appreciates, I want to do more for her. And the same thing, you know, is true, of, you know, about our love for the Lord. When you love the Lord, you're, you're going to want to serve him. Now, think of it on the opposite side. Think about sin. You know, is sin pleasurable for a moment? You go, absolutely. If it wasn't, guess what? Nobody'd really do it. But the problem with, with lust and love is love satisfies, but it leaves you wanting more. That's not lust, okay? But lust, on the other hand, sin, you think about this, it's an insatiable appetite that can't be satisfied. That's the danger, you know, of sin. And so these, there's this battle Paul is saying, and he understands it. Like I said, as we especially get into chapter seven, you know, that we're going to face and we're going to have to fight, like I said, this, this good fight. I put in my notes that, you know, it's possible to be free in Christ positionally, but to live as if you were enslaved practically. I think that's one of the biggest battles that we have is we, we get it. Oh yeah, I, when I died with Christ, my old man, the old nature, I mean, it died. And when I came out of the water of baptism, I came out into new life. I've got resurrection power. I'm going, then why do I still sin? Why am I still struggling? You know, and there's a battle, like I said, that, that rages within it. I get it positionally, but how do, I, how do I live it out practically in my life? And the apostle Paul, like I said, he begins to address these things. You know, that you can, you can know things intellectually, you know, about the Lord, but not know him experientially. And what God wants us to know is not just to have head knowledge, but to have heart knowledge as well, that we would live out this relationship that, that we can enjoy with God, that we're living it out practically in our lives every day. I, I, maybe to make it make the most sense, you're, you probably have heard this, you know, often I've shared this, you know, from the pulpit numerous times, you've probably read it uh, yourself, but it goes to this, it says, Sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. And the point is that what? Everything that we do starts with what? A thought. I mean, so to be careful what you think about. Choose wisely. That, that's what Paul is going to you know, uh, bring us to over and over and over again. I, I shared with you this quote when we started our, our series here in, in Romans, you know, a quote by A.W. Tozer, where he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What you think about God, what you think God's capable of, what you think God you know, can do, what do you think God does, how God thinks about you, you know, what his word declares, all those things. You know? And so again, to grow in the knowledge of God is so, so important. And Paul then would remind us, he's going to choose 
wisely. Choose wisely. You know, in verse 14 there in, in, in chapter 6, Paul then, again, he, he's been reminding us of this, and I'll, I'll bring this up to speed as we get into this. He says, but sin is no longer your master. Remember, I'm reading from the NLT. Um, he says, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirement of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You know, you think about what was the law given for? You know, in practical sense, it was given, you might say, like a fence in your backyard. It was there as a perimeter. You know, it was there to protect. You know, the Jews had 613 laws, the laws of Moses. There was 365 uh, that were negative laws. So they had one for every day, you could say. And uh, something to remind them, you know what? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And that's a lot of how they looked at the law. There were 248, though, positive laws. And, and I think all of us would, would agree with this, right? You look at the world today. Would you agree with this statement? No fence, no safety. Would you agree with that? No fence, no safety. And that's what's happened, I think, with regard to the law in the world today. Aren't we seeing that in, in many liberal communities? You'll have district attorneys are going, hey, we're going to not enforce this law. We're going to remove this law. We're going to take this law away with this belief that if we take the law away, guess what? People will just become good. Does it work? And you go, no, because without law, all we have is what? Lawlessness. I, I thank God, and, you know, and we need to pray for her. Um, uh, Cynthia Zimmer uh, is our DA here in Kern County, and she's a wonderful DA. I mean, she is compassionate. She, she's a believer. Um, I mean, she, I mean, her care for people, um, but she is tough on crime. And she believes that the law needs to be enforced. And just such a very balanced uh, perspective on, on life. And, and again, uh, we just need to really lift her up and, and the whole, our whole, you know, legal system here in Kern County, you know, because this is what, this is what we're up against. You know, and, and Paul, you know, is reminding us, you know, we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And, but yet when we're under grace, it doesn't diminish, you know, the law, you know, and how the law applies in the world today. The, the law, in the sense, it's good. Jesus himself said, he goes, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so when you think about, you know, even Paul would remind us, right? He said, all things are what? Lawful? He said, but all things are what? They're not profitable, right? Yeah. So even as a believer, go, okay, yeah, every, all things are lawful, but our motive is love. And so again, to understand that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, what we really have to ask ourselves with regard to this, and as we get into these next chapters, is in the choices that I make and choosing wisely, you go, is this thing, this choice that I'm making, is it helping me become holier? Is it helping me become holier? And it's a great question to ask your, yourself today. When you think about the things that you do in this life, the things that you participate in, you go, is this helping me become holier? And what I mean by whole, holier is just whole. Are you becoming whole? You know, are you becoming, is it helping you become a complete person? Remember, we, are, we were created spirit, soul, and body by God, right? And then at the fall, that got reversed, or you could say the spirit really in the truest sense died, and we became you know, led by our flesh and, you know, our emotions and our will. And then obviously as we're born again and the spirit comes into life, now we come back into that right relationship where we're governed by spirit, soul, and then body again. And, and Paul reminds us, you know, he says, you know, I won't be brought under, you know, it, the power of what? Of my flesh. There's, there's a battle that's taking place here. 
um, it's one of the, the fruit of the spirit is God's given us self-control that we, we don't have to, you know, uh, give in to the lust of our flesh. And again, there's a difference between my flesh and the old man. The old man died. And that's what Paul was teaching us here in Romans chapter six, that, you know, under the waters of baptism, the old man's dead, but I still have a flesh. I still have a memory. I still have that imprint that, you know, is still with me. I, like I shared with you over the weeks here, we still have phantom pains reminding us of the old man. Uh, I shared with you, you know, I use an example of, you know, going back to my old house, you know, uh, we all have an old house, so to speak. And, and I just get in the car and without even thinking and the car, just automatically I'm heading back to where I used to live. And when we do that with our old nature, we just, we don't even have to think about it. We can just go back there. So we have to deliberately go, I'm not going back there. I'm not going back there. It's again, as Paul will make clear over and over and over again, it's about choosing wisely here. And then maybe one of the difficult things um, is that, you know, I have to ask not just for myself, that all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Then you have to ask yourself, you go in this choosing, this choice that I make, is it edifying? What about other people? What's the impact that it'll have on their life? No man's an island. You know, we don't just live to ourselves. We live for God. And so, again, these are, these are tough questions, you know, that we have to wrestle through. People go, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's lawful for me to do this. It's lawful for me to do this. And you go, heck, it's pretty much lawful to do anything anymore, right? And you go, but the real question is, is it profitable? Is it edifying? Is it, it, what's the benefit that it has on the lives of other people? And that's the beauty of the church, the responsibility that we don't just live for ourselves, but we live for God and we live for one another. Verse 15 goes on. It says, well, then, since God's grace has, has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? And Paul answers it. It's a rhetorical question. He says, of course not. And he's asking the same question you know, in a sense that he asked in verse one, but he asks it, and again, in the Greek language, it means something completely different. It's kind of interesting. You know, in, in verse one, he's asking, shall we continue in habitual sin? If you look at Romans six, uh, verse one, he's asking that, should we continue in, continue in habitual sin? Then here in verse 15, he's asking the question, you know, or should we continue in occasional sin? So it's not asking the same question. Again, he's asking, should we care about occasional sin? And you know what? Most people don't. I mean, we care about habitual sin. You go, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just holier than I used to be, right? So it's sin still there. It's just not as much. And so we, we, we make peace with it in our own life. And, and that is not what Paul is teaching here. But I love the fact that, you know, in the Greek language, it's so, so specific here. So he's not just talking about habitual sin, but here, like I said, he's talking about occasional sin. Should we care about occasional sin? And what's the best way to live in victory over occasional sin, you think, in your life? You go, well, we think about God's word. We, and we color things a lot that, you know, I, I love the fact I look at scripture and I go, to me, scripture is pretty black and white. You know, would you agree? Most of the time, I mean, there's gray area there. But for the most part, it's black and white. And if you want to know and understand the gray areas, you know what the best way to do that isn't to pursue the gray areas or study the gray areas, is to get to understand and know the black and white issues so well that the gray areas then make sense. So Because it's like this. When you really know someone, and someone might say something about someone that you really know, and you go, wait a second. You go, I know them. And if you go, that just seems so out of character 
for what I know because I, and I know them really well. You're talking about something that they go, oh, but it was this little, little thing here. That, it was a gray area. And, and it's usually because if you understand the black and the white, you're able to better discern the gray area. And that same thing is true with God. And so a lot of people focus on the fringe. That's really not the key. The key is to focus, you know, never, as I always love what Pastor Chuck would say, never trade what you do know for what you don't know, okay? So just go back to the black, go back to the white. And again, and that's true with justification. It's true with sanctification. It's true with predestination. And as you do that, you do what? You start to study scripture in context instead of just pulling, you know, because again, people go, well, you know, Pastor Mike, so do you believe in the election of the saints? Yeah, I believe in election. Do you believe in predestination? Yeah, I believe in predestination. Do you believe in free will? Yeah, I believe. Well, you can't believe in it all. And I go, yes, I can. And they go, why? And I go, because scripture teaches them all. I just don't know how they all work. <laughs> I mean, I'll confess that right now. And, and if you know how they all work, you, I'll, I would be more than happy. I'll give you the pulpit on that Sunday and you can tell us all how they all work. They're hidden in the heart of God. God uses words that we can somewhat wrap our mind around to a certain degree, but there's a lot greater theologians than I would ever dream of being that have never been able to answer this question. You know, um, like I said, it, God is not bound by space or time. He stepped into it so that we could get a glimpse of him. And so he's using words to help us, you know, try to wrap our minds around things that are eternal. And uh, we'll come close. You know, I see dimly darkly. And the older I get, I see more dimly than darkly. <laughs> I, I, I get that. But, but I'm, okay. I'm okay with that because it doesn't diminish the fact, do I trust God completely? Amen. Do I believe that his, God, his word is true? Absolutely. Do I understand it completely? No. But I understand the black and the white. What I need to know, I understand that completely. And, and that doesn't deviate. But there's, there's all kinds of gray matter that, you know, I'm going, but you try to balance that against what? against what you do know. Never trade what you do know for what you don't know. So let me ask you this. What keeps you today from being a better person? What's keeping you from being a better person? I think all of us want to be better people, right? I think in a word we'd say, what keeps me from being a better person is sin. Would you agree? It's sin. Sin in my life, sin in your life. And, and it, Paul here isn't, you know, in this discussion... He's not saying, you know, and asking you and I to come to the conclusion, how can I become sinless? Because if you try that, if you go, I'm going to become sinless, okay, it's virtually impossible until the day you die. The day you die, you'll become sinless. You think about that because you won't be capable of sinning anymore. But that's what it's going to take. You're going to literally, physically have to die. But what you can do and what the Apostle Paul is bringing out here, the difference between verse 1 and verse 15, habitual sin and occasional sin, is when I start to really put this you know, in perspective, how can I sin less? Let me ask you this. Do you think you could sin less? Yeah. Yeah, there's hope for all of us. We can sin less. And, and one day, like I said, and I love this when I think about what Jesus did for me, when he died on the cross, he died for all my sin, right? my past sin, my present sin, my future sin. He paid the penalty for my sin when he died on the cross. He broke in the resurrection the power of sin over my life. And when he comes back for us, whether it's in the rapture, whether it's you know, in death and we see him face to face, then the very presence of sin will be gone from our life. Victory is in Jesus. That, that's what Paul is going to 
take us to that understanding. You know, you want to you want to cut to the chase. Our victory is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, like I said, you know, grace, you know, it's important that we get this. Grace doesn't make you and I stop caring about sin, but grace changes the focus on how we look at sin. Because no longer, again, if I'm looking at it through the law, you know, then you go, I'm looking at, you know, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can, and, you know, and you're going to trip over that all the time. Where Jesus simply has offered us an invitation. He said, follow me, follow me. And he says, and I'll make you become. And there's the connection. Follow me and, and I'll make you become. When the law was broken, what did they do in the Old Testament? Think about this. When the law was broken, what did a person do in order to become right with God? They offered a sacrifice, right? They offered a sacrifice and they would offer that before God. It was made. And under grace, what do we do? Are we offering a sacrifice or has a sacrifice already been made? And so we're receiving the sacrifice that was made. There's a difference there. Under the law, you're looking for the sacrifice to make, to make things right, to make restitution. When God offers us grace, it's, again, I like this explanation. Maybe this helps with regard to religion is man's attempt to reach God, right? That's what religion is. Do I do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, the law. But what is Christianity? Christianity is God's desire to reach man through his son, Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross. It's not something we do. It's something we receive completely, completely. You could say they're opposites at that point. Again, not focusing on some temporary, you know, under the law, you think about that. When sacrifice was made, it was what? One year, one year. And then they had to come back again and again and again. When Jesus died, he died once and the Bible says for all. Once and for all. It was done for us. Verse 16 goes on. It says, don't you realize that you become the slave? He said, of whatever you choose to obey, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. It's a simple principle. We obey who we serve. Serve sin and it leads where? Death. Serve Jesus and it leads to what? Righteousness. It's, it's not any more difficult than that. You know, I, I love the fact that, you know, I wasn't really a big Bob Dylan fan, but he was a great theologian in that song. You know, you got to serve somebody, right? Because he writes this, he says, but you got to serve somebody. He says, yes, you're going to serve somebody, serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but what? You're going to serve somebody. And he nailed it. He hit it right on the head. You, that, there's only two choices there. You know, I used to teach our youth, you know, uh, he who chooses the beginning of the road chooses the end thereof. Because people would go, oh, I'm going to live like this, and then I'm just going to jump off like, you know, it's like being in a plane crash, right? They go, well, hey, what if you were in a plane, and it was going down, and then right before it hit the ground, you jumped on the plane? What? You have kids, they go, yeah, if the plane was going to crash, and right when it hit, you jumped. Well, it, doesn't even, it doesn't even merit an answer, a response to that, you know? You go, no, you choose the beginning. If you're going down, there's enough inertia behind that. There's enough momentum. You're, gonna, you're going into the dirt, you know, at that point. I mean, I try to make it as simple as possible. I go, if you're going south on I-5 and you're telling me you're going to end up in Fresno, what are the chances of that? None. 
Not at all. Well, they go, oh, what if you went all the way around? Okay, I get your point. But you go, if you're heading south on I-5, you're going to end up in L.A. That, that's, that's all you're going to drive through it at least. You know, there's just no way around it. Unless you do what? Unless you repent. Unless you, you turn around. Again, heaven and hell, there's a choice. And it's before us. And Paul just lays this out perfectly clear. You know, in John 8, 36, you know, Jesus said, if the son sets you free, you are truly free. He said, and you are free indeed. And you know, the Jews were offended by that because they were claiming to be free already. And you think about that. Here's Jesus going, do you guys know your history? I mean, you guys were, you, you were taken captive by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians. You're under Roman rule right now. How free are you? But yet people can be what? Delusional. And they were. And people are today because they, they live and they walk in darkness. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end brings forth death. Verse 17 goes on and says, But thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you're wholeheartedly, you obey this teaching that we have given you. What is he saying? Sin is past tense. You've been set free. It's just a reminder of that again today. Sin is past tense is what he's saying. You've been set free. Have you ever seen an apple with a wormhole in it? And you look at that and you go, man, there was a worm burrowed into this apple. And you go, no, that's not how it happens. There, if you think about it, you know, what truly had happened, there was an egg that was laid on the blossom. And as the apple grew, the worm grew. The worm was given birth and then the worm was actually burrowing out of the apple, not in. It's kind of a, it's a great metaphor when you think about it, you know, what, what sin is. The Bible says, David wrote in the Psalms, he said, we were conceived in sin, right? The sin was already in us. Just like you look at that apple and you go, there was, a, there was a worm already in that apple at conception, you could say. And the same thing is true about sin. It's already in us. It's inside of us. And that's why we've got to recognize the death that, that it dies in Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of times, like I said, you know, we look at it and we go, well, was, the, was sin on the outside and it just came into our lives? You go, no, we identify with Adam. It was there from birth. It's part of our our DNA. You could say, using that apple as a metaphor, you know, with regard to sin, we are rotten to what? To the core. Yeah, we're rotten to the core. That's why Jesus said, you must what? Be born again. Verse 17 in the New King James puts it like this. It says, but God be thanked that through you, though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that key word there is form, form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And what that's talking about is a form. It's as if God melts you and then he pours you into a mold. And that mold is doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is good teaching. It's teaching. And through his teaching, he does what? God molds you into the person that he desires that you be. That's why it's trusting the word of God, right? People go, oh, I've got to do something. You go, you do. Trust the word of God. Stand on the word of God. Read the word of God. Study the word of God. Most of all, do what? Apply the word of God, and guess what? You'll be safe. You'll be safe. Not only will you be saved, you'll be safe in him. Paul says, you know, that you proved your faith by what? Obedience. Jesus said the same thing. If you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. Yeah, obey from the heart. I always love that, that kind of that, that joke about the little boy, you know, back in the day when you didn't have to wear seatbelts, and he's standing up in the front seat, and his grandmother you know, is driving, and he's jumping up and down. She says, Johnny, sit down. And he wouldn't sit down. So she reaches over there like only a grandma can, and she yanks his arm, pulls him down. He's sitting down. He folds his little arms. He's looking at her. She says, what, what's wrong? He says, Nana, he said, I might be 
sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, you know? And that's a, I mean, as a kid, you think that is perfect, you know? And Paul's going, but here's what you've done. You're not just going through the external motions. That's what the Jews were doing. That's why Jesus called it hypocrisy. He goes, but you're obeying from the heart. There's an inside out work that God is doing. His, his word, trusting his word transforms our lives. Obedience, you could say it proves your love. Obedience not only proves your love, but it keeps you close to the one that you do love. You think about that. Because when, when you're not in harmony you know, with someone, what, you, you stay away from them. You avoid them. You think about it, when relationships get strained or they're broken, you know, you could see them in the grocery store and you're going down and you stick your head in the, you know, inside, oh, I hope they don't see me, I hope they don't see me, I hope they don't see me, you know. Don, do you ever run into that when you were, yeah. Don, Don just retired this last year from bonds. He probably saw people doing that all the time. Yeah. They'd probably confess it to him. He probably got more confessions than I have. Yeah, yeah, I saw so-and-so. I didn't really want to see him, so I just hid my head in the celery until they got wet. And then I got all wet, you know, from it. And, you know, verse 18 goes on. It says, now you're free from your slavery to sin, and you've become slaves to righteous living. And so, again, what is he talking about? Past tense. You know, he's talking about your conversion to Christ. You were set free. You have a new master now. You know, we still, what, fall into sin, you could say, but we don't camp there. That's what he's saying. You don't set up camp. You know, you're going to trip, you'll fall, we get back up. I like what uh, Greek scholar Kenneth West, uh, uh, Weist, what he, he defined in the ancient Greek word, that word slave, and he, he, four definitions for it. But it applies not only to a slave of sin, but also a slave of righteousness. So think about this. What you used to be a slave to sin, you could say you're now a slave to righteousness. Or can you? It's important that you can answer this. Slaves were born into a condition of slavery, meaning they were born into slavery. It wasn't something they, they weren't just bought, purchased. Second, uh, it says your will is swallowed up by the will of the master. You don't have a will. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, it's not my will, but what? But thine be done. We have a new master in Christ Jesus. Uh, number three, they're bound to the master and only death could break it. Only death could break that relationship. Number four, serves the master. Um, again, disregarding your own interest. Again, same thing. We pray, not my will, but thine be done. You do what the master wants. And again, this is how it was before we came to Christ with sin. We didn't have a choice. I mean, that's what we did. It controlled our life. It was our master. And when we came to Christ, that was broken. But now we have a new master. We have a master. Our, our passion is the Lord himself. And hopefully we can look at that the same way then. And again, we don't have to sin again. That's what Paul's reminding us. We've been set free from its dominating power in our lives. It's still there. You could say God doesn't compel us to sin. He doesn't make us sin. I like what David Guzik put in his commentary. He said, sinless perfection is an illusion until the resurrection. Sinless perfection is an illusion until the resurrection. And you'll have people that go, oh, no, 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 I don't sin any longer. Well, I'm just going to give you the passage of scripture. Most of you already know it. When they say, I don't sin anymore. You know, I, I'm in Christ. I don't, I don't sin anymore. I don't even have to ask. I used to talk with guys all the time. They go, I don't even ask God for forgiveness anymore. I don't have to. That's for non-believers. When you come to Jesus, when you're in Christ, I'm going, where did you get that? And I know where they got it. There's a book floating around for a number of years. And I'm going, man, terrible theology. Let me just read you this. First John chapter one, verse eight through 10. 
It says, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Well, it's true. We're just not slaves to sin. We can live as free people. And when we blow it, guess what? What is that expression? You know, they say this in marriage. You know, when you're wrong, you need to what? You need to confess it. When you're right, you need to shut up. You know, when you're, when you're wrong, you know, fess up. When you're right, shut up. That's how it is, Kevin, right? Yeah. 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 Kevin used to tell me that still. It's just how it works. Verse 19, it goes on. It says, because of the, the weakness of your human nature, he says, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led to ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteousness, living so that you will become holy. So Paul, he's, he's kind of apologizing for using this as an analogy because at that time there was about 120 million slaves in the Roman Empire and over 60 million of them, were, you, know, um, you know, 120 million people living, excuse me, in the Roman Empire, 60 million of them were slaves. Over half the people basically were slaves. So he's going, hey, you, you guys, will, you'll fully understand this. He says in verse 20, says, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do what was right. I mean, I, I remind you that all the time. Should we really get mad at the world for sinning? No. They're just doing what's natural. They were, they were born into it. It's as natural to them as it is, you know, for you and me to breathe. Verse 21 goes on. It says, and what was the result? It says, you are now ashamed of the things that you used to do, things that end up in eternal doom. You know, we think back to, you know, you listen to people give their testimony. They abused their bodies. Their affections were prostituted. Their time was squandered. Or relationships were wronged. Or, or influence was misused. You know, in a word, shame. We, we have shame from our past. And most people look back over their, their old life, their past life, and they go, it was a waste of life. Paul said it was all dung. It was worthless. We get it. Paul says, but now you're free from the power of sin and you become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. You ever heard the expression, the best defense is a good offense? You know, in sports, it's, it's true. You know, in the Old Testament, we think of uh, Aaron. You know, when Aaron uh, was being anointed as, as priest and he was dedicated for his service, remember they took the blood of an animal and they, they touched him on his right ear and then they touched him on the tip of his right thumb. They touched him on the... Uh, tip of his big toe, you know, and you go, what did all that mean? It was, it was about consecration. That is his mouth was consecrated to God. His ears were consecrated to God. You know, his hands were consecrated to God. His feet were consecrated to God, that it was, it's complete. And what was true, you know, for Aaron is true for me and you, you know, Paul's going to tell us in, in Romans chapter 12, that we should do what, that we should, we should serve him with our whole body, that we should, you know, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we should give ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, right? Completely to him. It says, you know, he goes, which is our logical, you know, reasonable act of worship, because it's, it's the logical thing to do. In light of what Jesus has done for you, what we should do is how we started, to go all in. Are you, are you all in today? You know, do you got one foot in the world and one foot, you know, in Jesus? That's a frustrating place to be. And, and it's frustrating because 
you'll never know, you know, what it's like. You go, what if I went all in? What if I forsook the world? What if I, because again, again, you can be positionally saved, you know, and, and, and living in such a way that you're not experiencing, you know, the fullness of God in your life. And it's not because you're not saved. It's because of whether it's a lack of faith or it's a lack of trust or it's just sin, besetting sin in your life. And God, there's an invitation there. You know, choose, choose wisely. Make, make good choices, you know, in your life. Verse 23, and it ends with this. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Understand this, you know, there's only two masters, sin and God. There's only two methods, wages or a free gift. And there's only two destinies, death or eternal life. It's black and white. There's, there's no middle ground, you know, in this. I mean, if you end up in hell, you can take 100% credit for ending up there because hell is the end result of a choice that you'd make today or a choice that you made a long time ago. Heaven, on the other hand, is a free gift that you can only, only receive it by faith. It's a gift that God offers to you. And you can take it, you can receive it, or you can reject it. That, that's the only, the only option that you have with it. But you could never take credit for your salvation because it's a gift from God. But you can take credit for hell because that's 100% on you. Choose wisely. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Like Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, maybe the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And Paul's saying, you were saved to serve Jesus. Amen. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, just as we, we close today, God, I pray, uh, Lord, that everybody in the sanctuary, everybody at home today could say, Pastor Mike, I have chosen Jesus. I have decided, like, uh, again, like Joshua, choose this day in whom you'll serve. But Lord, as for me and my house, we're, we're going to serve the Lord. And if you haven't done that, that before you leave this place, before you turn off the, the TV or uh, however you're watching today, that you would confess your sin to God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It is a choice that God, you leave for us. Yes, Lord, we believe in election. We believe in predestination, but we truly believe what your word declares to be true and that you have left that choice for us. You've chosen us. And God, the question remains, will we choose you? And Lord, I pray today. God, that we choose you, that we choose life. And so, Lord, have your way in us. Lord, the best evidence, Lord, in all of our lives for an unbelieving world isn't just professing that we love Jesus, but it's living a holy life that's different from the world around us, where we still experience a greater sense of peace and joy, all the things that the world wants and that they can't find. God, you offer as a gift to them that love you and are called according to your purpose. And so Lord, as we come to know you better this week, know you more, may that knowledge Lord be transferred into action. May it be a reflection in Lord and how we live, the things that we say, the way we talk to people, the way that we treat them. 
Yes, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Lord, help us to live a life that is edifying to you, to the world around us, even to ourselves. For your glory, God, may we do these things as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.